Good morning. Did everybody get enough to eat this, this over Thanksgiving, I hope, right? So for those of you who were excited to get here and see Adam speak, I'm sorry. Um, I'm here, though we're both beautifully bald. Um, I am not Adam. Uh, I am Trevor Smith. Uh, I do get to lead the, the tween group, um, so that's one of the things that I get to do. Um, and I'm just honored and humbled to be here today um, to spend a little time with you uh, in God's Word. Now, a couple of months ago, Adam said, hey, would you be interested in coming up and preaching on a Sunday? And I said, sure, what do you want me to talk about? And he said, you know what, I, I really, this is a part um, that we're taking a break, we're not really in any message, so you can talk about anything that you like. And, and, and I think that was, a, that was a, a terrible thing to tell me, right? Because as you can see, I'm wearing a football jersey, so I'm a huge football fan. And so I, I prepared a three-hour presentation about why the Green Bay Packers are the best football team in the NFL. Woo! Unfortunately, um, they got decimated on Sunday, so I figured this would probably be a better time to put that off to the side uh, for another day. So as I was thinking about the things that, um, what I could talk about, one message um, I heard previously by a pastor named Erwin McManus um, really spoke to me, and I said, I, I thought to myself, this would be a great message um, to give today. Now, um, before I jump into the last arrow, um, since we're in the, the holiday season, the Christmas is coming up, right? They started putting c uh, commercials on TV that make uh, my wife cry. Um, I laugh at her through the tears that are coming down my own eyes, just, just to point that out. Um, I thought it would be great to start today um, with a little like miracle story just to kind of set the mood. And so um, I want to talk about a friend of mine who um, her story uh, I thought was just very interesting story. Um, she, her and her husband decided to try to have another kid. They already had two boys and they thought a third would be great, preferably a girl, right? Because they had the two boys, they wanted to have the girl. And, and so they went on and they decided to go ahead and, and start trying to have a third child. Now, they were going and they're like, one of the most important things that we want is that, um, besides a healthy girl, is that the, the kids can't be too far apart, right? So we got the two boys, they're really close in age. Um, so we want this baby to be very close to the same age as the rest of the kids. And, and so as they were trying and trying, it was taking a long time, uh, to get pregnant, the, there was a point in time where the husband goes, you know what, I've had enough. I don't want to continue trying. The, the, the kids are getting too far apart in age um, for what we want to do. So um, he decided to go home and tell his wife, um, I don't want another kid, or, or we need to stop trying. And so he goes home, he tells his wife, and, and my friend had a, an unusual reaction to it. Um, she started to laugh at him. Very confused by this, he looked at her and goes, what? What's so funny? I don't understand. Like, this is, a big, this is a big thing. I figured you would be disappointed. And she goes, well, um, I'm laughing because I'm pregnant. <laughs> and so it just happened that the day he decided enough, she found out she was pregnant. And so they go through this whole thing, and, and for those of you who have had um, children, um, there's different ways you can tell if you're having a boy or a girl. At least that's the belief, right? We can tell. Um, in this one, she already had two boys. In this one, she's like, I'm carrying it different. Um, my, my, my cravings are different. The vitals of the baby are different. Like, everything's different, so I know 
I'm getting my girl. So it even goes up to the day of delivery, and they're in the hospital, and they're looking at all of the, the babies, and she's like the third, fourth one to give birth that day. And, and as she was going, they're doing a C-section, that's why it's scheduled, so it's just, you know. So as they're going through, they're seeing all the heart rates are the exact same. And it's a girl, and a girl, and a girl. And then there's one boy. Right? So she ended up having a baby boy. So she had three boys. Um, she was, you know, disappointed because she picked out the, the girl's name. So they had to come up with a boy's name at the last minute. But it was, she was happy nonetheless, right? Like we all are. But here's where some of the, the pain points come in is the doctor came and said, hey, we have some problems. Um, there's, there's a couple of conditions that your child has. Um, the first one uh, is that they have a heart condition. Um, it's called a, a ventricular septum defect or something, something like that. It means that they have a hole in the heart. Everybody has it. You, typically, it closes up. Uh, but in this case, her child, it didn't close up. They also said he has a heart murmur, which I don't know exactly what that all entails, but um, another heart problem. Um, but the more significant one was that he was hydrocephalic. And, and I, I hope I said it right. I, I know what it, it sort of means. It means that the, there's water on the brain. Again, it's something that normal, it normally happens, but your brain, your body decides that it needs to release the fluid inside, inside your head, and so it does it naturally, right? So you could imagine that if the fluid is building in um, your head, your head is going to get bigger, kind of like a balloon, right? Especially a baby, right? The skull's not fully formed. And it could cause and will cause pressure on the brain, right? And this can cause a lot of um, uh, defects um, up to and including death if it's not resolved, right? So this is heartbreaking. They, ha they ha can't figure out what's going or they they're understanding what's going on, but there's a whole plan that they know that they're going to be in for the long haul with this, with this baby boy. And so they go home and they, they, they start taking care of him the best that they can, um, but after a couple of months they realize he's not moving a lot. So they go back into the doctor, the doctor runs some more tests, and they said, um, we're, we, we, we're sorry to tell you, um, your son will never be able to walk and he will never be able to talk. Now, I, can't ima I have four kids myself. I can't imagine if a doctor came up to me and said those words to me, what that would feel like. Now, the doctors recommended that they put this baby, put their youngest son, into an institution that are full of medical professionals to take care of people that will never be able to walk or talk. Um, so the parents, they were sitting there going, discussing it, like, what should we do? Um, should we really put them into this institution? Should we, should we just take them home? Like, what should we do? And the father looked at my friend and said, this kid's going to be somebody. He's going to do something. So we're going to take him home. And that's what they did. They took him home. They got a list of things to do with, from the doctor that said, hey, these are some of the activities that you can try to do, some, some, some exercise you can try to do um, to help him develop, to see if, if something might happen. And so they start doing it. The mom, my friend is a stay-at-home mom. She was working the kid, you know. The brothers were helping as infants. You know, they're, they're a couple years old, so they're helping. They're all doing physical therapy with them. 
And they continue to go through this process. Now, we want to get back to the, the water on the brain because that's important. We've got to get that taken care of. And so um, they, they go through all these appointments. They're doing all these tests. And the doctor, they schedule the surgery, and they're going to put a shunt into the baby's head. So the shunt is like something that goes inside the head, um, and it's just it's because the, the brain or the body's not uh, automatically doing it, the shunt will do it for him. And so they're getting ready to do that. Now, there's a lot of, in, you know, obviously surgery is surgery, and when you're messing with brain, there's a lot of things that could go wrong. So they show up for the day of surgery, and the doctor goes, this has never happened to me before. I had a dream last night that I'm not supposed to do this surgery. He goes, so please let me run some more tests. Let me see if, the, if, if it's like something's changed or whatever so that we don't have to do the surgery. If nothing has changed, we'll go ahead and do the surgery. And so they, the, the parents say, yes, go ahead, do the test. Obviously, we'd rather do that than to have the surgery. And so they ran some tests. They came back, and he goes, the water started draining by itself. The fluid is coming off of his head, so we don't have to do the surgery. Right? So that was the first miracle. Now they continue on, and they just keep working and keep working with, this, with their child and just keep doing the physical therapy stuff. Um, and then around 12 months old, the baby rolled over. Now you might go, well, that's not a huge deal, but 12 months is pretty late in a, in a development, right? So then at 13 months, the baby starts walking around furniture in their house. At 14 months, the baby walked into the doctor's office on his own, and the doctor cried. Right? So I asked my friend to send me a couple of pictures. And so I have a couple of pictures of her three boys here. I noticed a little bit bigger head, right? Hydrocephalic, right? Buildup of fluid. We got another picture, right? I think they're holding him back here. I think he's ready to go, um, getting held back there. So I think I just wanted to start with that because I think that's a beautiful miracle story, uh, kind of run along with the Christmas theme of things. And so I just wanted to start there. I mentioned it's talking about the last arrow. Now, if any of you know me, you know I hate the outdoors. I hate the outdoors. Can I say that loud enough, right? Um, I, I do joke, I, I don't like going to church in the park. Like, I hate the doors, outdoors that much. The only thing I hate more in the outdoors is shooting things in the outdoors, right? So my brothers are big hunters. They, they do all that outdoor stuff. I am not. And so they take me out to shoot. They think it's funny. The last two times they took me out shooting guns, I walked away bleeding. And so I'm like, no, enough. I'm done with it. So you might go, well, Trevor, then why are you talking about shooting arrows? And, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But first of all, I wanted to bring in, because when I read Bible stories, I like to picture things. And so I decided I'm going to go to the store and get a bow and arrow so I have an illustration. I have it hidden back here for a second. Let me grab it. So I went and I got a nice bow and arrow. I just brought this chair up for a stand. Let's see. Put it this way. Um, so I went in there and I told them, uh, I told the lady, I said, this is, the, this is what's going on, right? I, I hate shooting stuff. I always hurt myself. Um, but I really want to be able to illustrate what's going on. I need to be able to shoot some arrows so that it looks, you know, look, I look manly, right? So I look good. Um, and so she goes, I got the perfect thing for you. So she takes me down the aisle and she gives me my bow and arrow. 
right? So she got me a bow and arrow. So I've been practicing, and it, it, it actually works, and I can actually do it without hurting myself. So I see my family over there. Maybe I'll try to hit them. It doesn't actually go that far, I don't think. Everybody in the front row duck, all right? Well, oh, man, I almost had it. I, I just stop. <laughs> I can say that that's my daughter. Boom. Woohoo! hit my wife. All right. Um, so this is, this is my bow and arrow. This is one that I can use without hurting myself, which is really good. So why did I want the bow and arrow? What illustration am I going to do? Um, we're going to jump into the Bible. We're going to jump into Second uh, Kings. Um, and we're going to go through this uh, verse here. So this is 2 Kings 13, uh, chapter four, uh, verse 14 through 19. Now, um, so just to set this up just for a moment, and if you don't have, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, there are Bibles in the chairs. Also, if you go to the Bible app, you can go to events and then get the, the Bible verses there. Uh, but they'll also be up here on the screen. So to set this up a little bit, um, we have a, a fight going on between the Israelites and the Syrians. And the, the king of the Israelites is coming to Elijah, uh, Elisha, and asking, like, what am, I, what am I supposed to be doing here, right? So the, here, Elisha is, is sick. He's getting close to, to dying. And so that's where we pick it up here. Now, when Elijah had fallen sick with an illness of which he was to die, Joash, king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And Elijah said to him, take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, draw the bow. And he drew it. And Elijah laid his hands on the king's hands, and he said, open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria, for you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek until you have made an end of them. It continues on. And he said, take the arrows, and he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them. And he struck the ground three times and then stopped. Then the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you had made an end of it. But now you will, stri oh, you will strike down Syria only three times. Is that confusing to you guys? It was a little confusing to me when I first read it. Now, if you don't know me, I, I do, do training. I do software training. And I've learned a long time ago that you write down training instructions in third grade crayon. That's the way we put it, right? Make it very easy for everybody to understand. So I went through this and I highlighted the instructions and the responses so that we can see clearly what's going on here. So let's go to the next slide. And we see here, none of my highlights are showing up. Is there another slide? No? All right. Just pretend that they're highlighted. All right? It loses some effect, but we'll, we'll move on without it. All right. So here's what they're saying. I'm going I'm to do this. He said, he said, grab your bow and grab your arrows. And so he grabbed the bow and arrow. Uh, and, uh, and then he said uh, to Israel, draw the bow, and he drew it. Right? He said, draw the bow, and he drew it. And then he laid the, his hands on the king and he said, open the window eastward and he opened it, right? So he's following the instructions very well. Pick up your bow, pick up your arrows. He picked them up. Draw it, he drew it. Open the window, he opened it. And then he said, shoot it and he shot it. And he said, you will have victory over Syria. Now if we go to the next slide, he says, now take the arrows. 
right? And so the king picked up the arrows and he took them. And he said, strike the ground with them. And he struck the ground three times. And then he was upset. You see, the part that I get confused on is that the, uh, Elisha said, strike the ground, but he struck it three times. Why would you be upset? He overdid whatever he was told to do, right? But then after I was thinking about it, I'm like, wait a minute. If he said, strike the ground, and the king struck it three times, maybe he knew that there was something more to that instruction than just to strike it three times. Maybe what he was saying was that God is saying, strike the ground without ceasing. Don't stop striking the ground until I tell you it's enough, right? And so that's why he gets upset. So, I, I mean, I don't know. In, in this case, maybe uh, the king was sitting there going, okay, um, I'm striking the ground, right? I don't know if that's what he was doing. I don't know um, um, where we're going with it, but he knew that he was supposed to keep striking it. That's the way I understand it. So he should have just kept striking it and striking it and striking it and striking it and striking it until God said, enough. Right? I think that's what we're talking about here. And that's why Elisha gets so upset. He's like, I didn't tell you to stop. God didn't tell you to stop. God told you to strike the ground and to keep going. All right. All right, we can go to the next slide. All right, so I want to tell a little bit of a personal story. I want to make somebody turn really red in just a second. Um, so we go to the next slide. So this is a picture of my daughter Aspen who is here today. Um, there's a good story um, that, that I, I, Aspen and I kind of joke about today, but when she was like a junior, sophomore, something like that in high school, she got brought home her, her progress report, report card, something like that, and on there was a beautiful D, right? right? So everybody who has kids know, right, you have that conversation like, hey, this is not good. Like, you can't have a D on your report card, and I don't care if it's a progress report or whatever. You can't do that. These grades are important. They will affect you for the rest of your life. They'll weigh you down, right? So we dive into it. And at some point, Aspen looked at me and Christy and said, a D's passing. Now, if, if you have teenagers, um, you already know this battle, right? If you don't have teenagers, let me, let me fill you in a little bit. You cannot change their mind at all, right? My grandpa had a bumper sticker that said, hire a teenager while they still know it all, right? But when she said that, Christy and I stood and started, like, the lecture of all lectures, the, the, the like, how could you ever say something like that? Like, this is the worst thing that you could ever say. Now, it became her mantra through the rest of her, her high school that a D is passing, a D is passing. But fear not, she graduated. She's in college. She's doing good. I was thinking about it this morning, and I said, I was thinking, oh, you know what? She's taking college algebra this year. I took college algebra. I got a D in college algebra. I'm like, that's kind of funny how that all worked out. But anyway, um, I, did, I, I was working really hard to get that D, just to point that out. Um, but the point that I'm making here is that um, weeks after we had this, and, and probably even months or, or even a year, it took me to realize Aspen didn't come up with this by herself. Right? This D is, a, is passing mantra of hers was not of her own design. Right? She learned it from me. She learned it because she saw that I was living my life 
as though a D was good enough. Though it wasn't my mantra, I wasn't purposely saying that. I was sitting there striking the ground three times when God was telling me to do more, to step up, to spend more time with my kids, to do more with my wife, to do a better job at my job, to, to spend more time with God, to continue to talk to people about God. He was calling me to do it, and I was saying, hey, D's passing. If I were to ask you today, how would you grade yourself? How would your wife or husband grade you? How would, your, how would your kids grade you? Now, when I ask those questions, did you give yourself a grade or did you give yourself an excuse? Hey, I, I'm usually an A type of guy, right? But things are just so busy right now. This is the holiday season. I'm just off doing all this other stuff, right? Hey, uh, you know, I, I'm a B, maybe a B plus, but man, I'm just... I'm just depressed right now. I can't hardly pull myself out of bed. And it's just, it's just a season. It will pass, right? A lot of times we don't give ourselves a grade because we give ourselves an excuse. So this, this reminds me of one of my favorite Bible stories, um, definitely in the top three, right? Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of King Saul um, this isn't the, the Saul who becomes Paul. This is King Saul um, and his son, Jonathan. Now, these guys are out, and they're in the midst of a battle as well, as, as, as well as our earlier story. And if you go to the next slide, too. Um, and they're out, and they're battling the Philistines, right? They're having this big war, and they get to this point where um, they don't know exactly what to do next, right? So King Saul... Instead of being like the, the warrior out there just charging the assault, he takes his arrows, and I'm using that uh, metaphorically, he takes his arrows and he goes and sits under a pomegranate tree. He sits there because he doesn't know what to do, and so he'd rather do nothing at all. Now his son Jonathan takes a different approach. Jonathan goes, hey, let's go get him. Right? He, he's talking to his armor bearer. And he goes, let's go get the, the Philistines. Then he creates or plots out the worst tactical plan you could ever come up with to attack your enemies. Right? So he goes to his armor bearer and he goes, hey, the Philistines are up on top of this mountain over here. Let's go over there and show that we're there. And if they say, come on up, we'll climb the mountain. And we'll go fight them, right? So I know upper ground better than lower ground, right? First of all, that, that makes sense. You don't want to, like, like the sneak attack is far better than going, hey, here we are. We're going to fight now, right? And then on top of it, if they say come up, they're going to climb the side of a mountain before they fight these Philistines, which they're greatly outnumbered, right? Does that sound like a great plan? I don't think so. But that's what they do. Right? So the armor bearer's like, yeah, dude, let's do it. Let's go. And so they go, and they get to the bottom of the mountain, and they're like, hey, here we are. Here we are. And the Philistines go, come on up. Come on up, and we'll fight. We'll put an end to you. And so they climb up the mountain, hand and feet, all the way up the mountain. And when they get up to the top of the mountain, they fight the Philistines, and they win. 
They put 20 of them down right away. And the Philistines get so nervous, so um, fearful that they go and they spread the word that, the, that these guys are attacking them. And so the Philistines start to withdraw from where they're at. And they win that part of the battle. Right? So here in this case, Jonathan picks up his arrows and he goes and he's like, hey, I'm going to keep hitting. I'm going to keep pounding. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep doing something until God tells me to do something else. And when he tells me to do something else, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to keep doing it. And I'm not going to stop until God tells me to stop. Right? Do you guys remember um, the story I started with? Story of the, the boy, all those issues. So I have a couple more pictures. Now, you, uh, hopefully any teenager will look over at you and say, hey, hey, mom, dad, that was not done recently. That was not done on an iPhone 11 Plus or Pro or whatever they're called, right? So there's more to this story than what I left you with. So we're going to go through a couple more pictures here. And so here's their whole family together. See, this story is important to me because it's my story. I'm that kid. And if it wasn't for my parents picking up their arrows and smacking it on the ground, I wouldn't be here. They wouldn't be here. Right? God told them, this is not where you stop. This is just where you begin. And so... I sit here and I struggle because I'm not living the life that I should be living. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, a friend of mine, took, we went out to lunch, having a great conversation at lunch. And he goes, Trevor, I need to tell you something. You are not living the life God had called you to live. And when he tells me this, I, I, get, I get mad, right? I get hurt. I get angry. I'm like, but I've been working really hard to cover this up so no one else can see what I've been doing, right? I've been making enough excuses so I never have to get better. When he told me that, the first reaction I had, I didn't say it, but I thought in my mind, I said, I'm done with the tween group. I don't even want to do it anymore. I'm not good enough to do that. How could I ever come up here and stand here and talk to you about living the way that you should, the way that God calls you to live, if I'm not doing it myself? How can I do that? And then God said, hey, we all have to make that first step. We have to take that first step in order to bang our arrows on the ground without end. We all have to take that first step. And, and trust me, I didn't want to come out here and share my dirty laundry. Um, it's not the, the best thing in my life. But that's, that's what God called me to do. Because as I come clean, it, it lightens my heart. It tells it's the first step in starting again. It's the first step to recovery. And that's why I'm here doing this today. You saw pictures of my dad. My dad um, died when I was young. I was, I was like six, seven, eight. Christy probably knows how old I was, but I was six, seven, eight years old when he passed away. So I never got to ask him 
What did he mean by that? What did he mean that I was going to be somebody, that I was going to do something? I don't know what that meant. But I believe today that as he sits in heaven looking down at me, he goes, that is my son. And with him, I am pleased with what he's doing. And so for me, this is not where my story ends. It's only where it's beginning. I'm going to continue to take those next steps. I'm going to continue to take the arrows and bang them on the ground until God tells me, stop, do something else. I'm not going to settle for my life being a D anymore. A D isn't passing anymore. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Uh, I pray that this message meets us uh, wherever we're at. Whether we gave ourselves a grade or we gave ourselves an excuse, just meet us wherever we're at. You know what we need. Um, Give us courage uh, to take that first step. Whether that's stepping out and talking to a friend, if that's, uh, you know, um, helping out in the church, whether that's just sharing your word with our neighbor. Whatever that step is, just, um, just put it on our hearts so heavy that we have no choice but to follow it. When we get discouraged, help us turn to you and focus in on you and have you lead our ways. Have you lead us. And when we're confused and we don't know what our next step is, um, help us understand that we know what is good and we just need to start doing that and continue doing that until you tell us something different. Now, we're going to continue a time of reflection uh, there'll be people in the back if you, if you need prayer. There's communion back in the corner as well. But take this time now to think about what is God calling you to do? What are those areas in your life that you might be leading that is a D is passing? Maybe it's a C for you, right? But what are those areas that God calls you to be stronger in? And make a commitment today saying, God, yes, I will follow you. I will do what you're calling me to do, and I will do it without ceasing.